Welcome in to the Paul Kuharski Podcast. I'm glad you're here. We're going to talk this week about DeAndre Hopkins' influence on the Titans. Consternation all over the place about what running backs are not going to be paid. I'm going to give you some books you should consider reading after going on a tear during vacation time. A visit from Positive PK to cap things off. I'm brought to you by Jasper's, a great place to eat on West End that you should check out. Let's get to business. DeAndre Hopkins signing with the Titans. Surprise to a lot of people. I didn't think they'd win, um, but I didn't think they'd lose as strongly as so many people out there seem to think who are in utter shock that DeAndre Hopkins will be playing for the Tennessee Titans um, this fall and next if, if all goes well. A big addition, obviously, for a team that uh, was really one high-quality receiver deep and an unproven one in that, and Traylon Burks. Obviously, Kyle Phillips, a promising slot receiver, but no second outside receiver of note on this roster. There certainly is a number one guy now in Hopkins. Um, some big questions come with him, obviously, so let's delve into those. He's 31 but he's less likely to wear down uh, based on his style of game. I think he's slowed down already some, and and that's going to continue. But he's not a down-the-field burner type of guy, never has been. He is a contested catch guy who's a body control guy, and that body control I think is less susceptible to age than the speed factor has been for some of the guys that we've seen come here and uh, complete their fate. He wasn't running past people in his prime. He's not going to be running past people now. But uh, And they had to have him, given the state of their roster. So this is a big, a big win for the Titans. Congratulations to them. Here, here are the questions we need to address on this fading with age. We saw it with Randy Moss when he passed through here, with Andre Johnson, with Julio Jones, most recently in a very disappointing uh, way you could throw Carl Pickens and Eric Molds in there if you want to go further back and and a notch down, but that can't scare you from trying the next time with the next guy, which is what they're doing here. It's only costing them money. They're not dealing away uh, picks the way they did for for Julio Jones. It's going to bring some veteran leadership to a position that had none, and to an offense that beyond Derrick Henry. And Ryan Tannehill is is lacking um, guys who've uh, you know been around and had success in the league. I think they need that. Who does it affect most? A lot of people say Derrick Henry. That, that is not the right answer. He's not going to alter Hopkins is not going to alter the number of defenders in the box. It's beyond time to come to terms with the fact that defenses are going to stack the box against Derrick Henry, period. I mean, we played this game when uh, Julio Jones arrived. He was healthy on opening day. Um, and, you know, out came A.J. Brown and Julio Jones, and we expected that, that there would be a pick-your-poison kind of element to the defense. Are you, if you're going to come up, to, to defend Derrick Henry with extra people. You're going to get burned over the top with these wide receivers. 
Um, and if you double up the, one of the wide receivers uh, and lighten the box, you're going to get bashed by Derrick Henry. Nobody lightened the box uh, against Derrick Henry. Derrick Henry was the number one thing you feared with the Tennessee Titans offense. In 2022, with terrible receivers last year, with Burks as the leading guy and with problems after that, um, Derrick Henry saw eight or more defenders in the box 38% of the time, according to next-gen stats. Um, in 2021, when we were all aflutter about Brown and Jones, AJ, uh, Derrick Henry saw a, a stacked box 36.5% of the time. So one and a half percent of the time difference when they had, you know, all-star receivers out there versus what they had last year. It's not going to make a difference. The guy it's going to make a difference for is Burks. And, and Burks had a, an excellent spring and summer from what we saw. We know he's matured. We know he's got the asthma under better control. We know he's slimmer. We know his mindset is much, much better. Well, now he's going to draw, in many circumstances, a lesser cornerback. If a team's playing a number one cornerback against the number one receiver, he's probably covering Hopkins. And Hopkins um, – Last year, if you look at the piece that Mike Herndon wrote about him this week, it includes that Hopkins' numbers, while still very good last year when he played, were down against man coverage, still very good against zone coverage. If you're covering DeAndre Hopkins and you're equipped to do so, you should be putting your best cornerback on him. And that leaves Traylon Burks um, with a lesser corner, unless you're going to double Hopkins with maybe um, – two corners and put your best corner on, on Burks. Obviously there's a variety of things that can happen, but trailing Burks's coverage should be more favorable because DeAndre Hopkins is on the field. He's the guy that should benefit the most. Another issue here, volume. DeAndre Hopkins is a volume receiver. He's had a ton of targets in his career. 9.43 targets a game. Titans haven't thrown 9.43 times to a guy in forever, ever. Um, they, they've been talking about, um, Charles London has talked about, feed the studs. And the Titans need to feed their studs. And Hopkins needs food. But he's not going to get 9.43 targets a game, even if this is a reformed offense that throws the ball far more and is less Derrick Henry reliant and less predictable on that, it's still going to be what Mike Vrabel always talks about as an efficient passing offense, and an efficient passing offense includes fewer throws um, than a lot of the passing offenses that, that Vrabel is asked sometimes to compare the Titans too, you know, don't you want to be more like these modern passing attacks in Kansas city and in Cincinnati and, uh, and around the AFC? Well, efficiency is what he wants and efficiency. I don't think is going to come with 160 targets or 140 targets um, for Nuke Hopkins. So he'll have to make the most out of less than that. And hopefully, too, that means fewer throws to guys down. You know, 11% of the Titans' throws went to NWI last year, Nick Westbrook-Akine. 
he shouldn't have that many targets playing as a fourth or a fifth receiver, presuming guys in front of him are healthier. Let's see the ball go to Hopkins, to Burks, to Chig, um, a, a, a stud tight end who they finally started throwing to more at the end of last year, um, to, to um, Kyle Phillips, who's a slot receiver who should be able to convert some, some third downs, and, um, and, and to new uh, running back out of, out of Tulane who they're bringing in to be more of a, a third down guy who could do what Dontrell Hilliard did and more, and who's not going to be only seen on third downs, I wouldn't think. But there's a five-pack or six-pack of, of players there uh, and feed the studs. I'd, I'd be top-heavy there. But DeAndre Hopkins is going to have to adjust, um, you know, a volume guy, sure, but less volume. It's hard hard to imagine he gets what he's used to, 9.43 targets a game when the Titans, you know, by blueprint for a lot of this time, in an ideal scenario, throw the ball, you know, sometimes 18 times, sometimes 22 times. Are they going to throw nine and a half of those to Hopkins? I hope so. Sometimes they've got better pass protecting offensive linemen. Um, we don't know how good those offensive linemen are, but we know a lot of the new ones are better at pass protecting than they are at, um, at run blocking. So that's a good thing. Um, one other note here, and a lot of people came at me about this, and, and that's fine if that's what you want. I was all over the Titans about not addressing wide receiver by the time the draft was over. And ideally, you want a young, cheap uh, wide receiver who you are going to mold. Um, another A.J. Brown, another Traylon Burks. This is a good mix they have now. But a lot of people have come at me like, oh, this was the grand plan. What do you have to say about that now? This is not a grand plan, okay? You cannot plan at the end of the draft to say, hey, I, I, uh, an all-time great wide receiver is going to get cut somewhere, even if you see the writing on the wall, even if Monty Ford is giving you inside information, which he's not. Um you know, you're assessing their cap situation and predicting what they're doing, and there were the potential for some other wide receivers also to be cut. But first, you're reliant on another team to cut DeAndre Hopkins. Then there are 30 other teams besides you and the team that cuts that great receiver, potentially in the market for that great receiver. You have no idea what they're going to do financially. Now, you can cross off certain teams knowing that there's no way they have the money, and you can cross off certain other teams knowing there's no way they need a wide receiver. Um, and some of those teams, you know, you could cross off for both reasons. But there is no way that the Titans at the end of the draft could, could go back to their war room and say, we're fine, we'll wind up with DeAndre Hopkins. There's just too much uncertainty there to say he's definitely going to get caught and we're definitely going to win the money sweepstakes for him. No matter how well Mike Vrabel and, and uh, Tim Kelly knew him, no matter how confident they were that, that the Cardinals rebuild was going to include cutting him to save themselves a ton of cap dollars. Um, and no matter how confident they were in their ability to recruit him and Mike Vrabel 
poo-pooed the recruit word in a big way when he was asked about DeAndre Hopkins and said his recruiting days were over when he left the college ranks as an assistant coach at Ohio State some time ago. Um, that's not a plan. Now, I'm not saying the Titans haven't come out of this well. Um, you know, they're still chasing A.J. Brown. Don't get me wrong. But uh, still chasing the A.J. Brown mistake and trying to make up for that. They've come out of it in a good position. I'll take Burks, Hopkins, Phillips, uh, Chig, Spears. Uh, but I, you can't say, well, they had this thing figured out all along and they played people. They, they didn't play people. I, I mean, they hoped that this is what would happen, that one of the, the top veteran guys who was a money problem for their team would get cut and that they then ultimately could win them on the market. But it's not something they knew would happen. It's not something that you could count on. It's not part of a plan. It's part of a wishful plan, I guess. Um, but I don't know that you could uh, smarmily say, we've got this thing under control. Big things are going to happen. The waiver wire is going to be loaded with people tomorrow when there were three or four people on the waiver wire tomorrow. So, again, Good job. They got it done, and they're fielding a much better offensive team uh, post the Hopkins news than pre the Hopkins news. No question about it. I'm brought to you by Jaspers, as you can see here up on the screen. Jaspers is on West End Avenue, close to 40 in downtown Nashville. It is a delicious restaurant, an excellent bar. Uh, I recommend the bolognese. I recommend the Cuban sandwich, both excellent entrees that I've enjoyed in my most recent visits there. Um, it's a great spot. Free parking, which is a huge feature to me. Um, free game room where you can play air hockey and pop a shot and a bunch of other things. Also gratis. Uh, reasonable prices. You can go there for a business lunch or listen to a podcast, get some reading done while you eat at the bar. Take a date there, have a family night there. Uh, if, if you don't have time to stop, you could stop at the grab and go market, take something home, impress your spouse. Can't speak uh, highly enough about them and appreciate their support. You should support them. I want to talk about running back money, which is all the rage right now, because three guys, Saquon Barkley, Josh Jacobs, and Tony Pollard, all quality backs. They're going to play on the franchise tag this year, $10.1 Did not get long-term deals done. And long-term deals for running backs, second contracts, not that popular. Running backs are a diminished commodity. Um, teams don't like to spend that much on them. The best thing I've heard, uh, and I've watched a lot and read a lot about this quote-unquote issue, was from Dan Patrick who said he thinks there's a lot of nostalgia connected to this because in our younger days, a lot of us who are a little bit older, running back was the centerpiece of a team in a lot of ways. And so seeing running backs not paid now and not valued in the same way gets to us. But we don't have the same consternation about inside linebackers, middle linebackers who used to uh, – kind of be the running back's counterpart on the defensive side of the ball. You know, look, 
you use up a running back now, you chew them up, you spit them out, you get a replacement, and, and you don't pay a lot of money generally unless the guy is super versatile. We'll get to this. Or a unicorn like Derrick Henry, who's on the team that we talk about here. Um, so many quarterbacks can run so well now that they offset uh, some of the yards that you need from a running back. That makes a difference. Dalvin Cook, who's been a very good running back, expendable. Ezekiel Elliott. You know, has reached his expiration date, expendable, replaced by Tony Pollard, one of the franchise running backs that, that I mentioned there. And all these proposals are coming up now. What about three-year contracts for running backs to make things fairer for them? What if what if somebody challenged the college rules, uh, you know, for draft eligibility in order to come out sooner to start making money faster? Uh, I, I don't know why we need all these solutions to a uh, uh, you know, what amounts to an NFL free market problem, special accommodations and, and rules and methods. It's just football now. Look, the Chiefs, the Bucks, and the Patriots have won championships, two of them multiple times, Patriots multiple, multiple times, without anything close to one big-time running back in their backfield. The Bills have done pretty well in recent years without one. Derrick Henry's in the middle of this, and he's a unicorn, obviously. Uh, it's really a two-down back who's gotten paid pretty darn well, um, but he plays a game from a different era on a team who plays a style of ball often from a different era. He tweeted. Uh, first off, Matt Miller tweeted, the NFL draft scout, been saying it for years. One, draft a running back. Two, play the running back if he's good. Three, franchise tag the running back one time. And then, one, draft the running back. That's kind of a five-year, four-year running back plan, right? So Derek Henry retweeted this, and he said, at this point, just take the running back position out of the game then. The ones that want to be great and work as hard as they can to give their all to an organization just seems like it don't even matter. I'm with every running back that's fighting to get what they deserve. And that's great. I mean, he's showing solidarity with his position. I would argue they are getting what they deserve. The market dictates what they deserve. Zico Elliott's on the market. Cook's on the market. What are they getting? Nothing. Henry um, is... Let me see here about these numbers. $45.9 million after this year, I believe. And um, no, before this year, heading into this year, $45.9 million he's made. He's missed 13 games. Okay. Michael Thomas, the wide receiver for the Saints, who's missed a lot of games. He's drafted two spots later. Than, uh, than Derrick Henry in 2016. He's missed 41 games. He missed all of 2021, and he played in three games in 2022 uh, with foot and toe injuries. He's been a mess. He's made 66, over $66 million. This is money in the bank per sport, sport track, career earnings. So Henry's made almost $46 million and Thomas has made a little over $66 million, $20 million difference. So I put out a poll on, on Twitter, uh, and I averaged out the 
top three seasons of each of these guys and ask people what you would rather have. Would you rather rather have a wide receiver with 160 targets, 120 catches, 1,458 yards, and 7.7 touchdowns? So that's 160 targets, 120 catches, 1,460 yards to round up, and 7.7 touchdowns. Or would you rather have a running back? 343 carries, 1,702 yards, and 15.3 touchdowns. So 343 carries, 1,700 yards to round it off, 15.3 touchdowns. Now, I haven't checked it right as I'm recording this Wednesday uh, evening, but the running back had a lead the last I looked at it which is craziness, which is Titans fans. Uh, first off, they thought this was a Henry versus uh, Hopkins comparison, which it was not. This is a money comparison. Um, but they just look at the raw numbers and go, well, 15.3 touchdowns. I want the 15.3 touchdowns. And 1,700 yards is more than 1,458 yards. I want more yards. But they're not looking at the uh, the target, 160 targets versus 343 carries. You're talking about 12 yards a play from Thomas and under five yards a play from Henry. You want more yards a play. You're talking about a touchdown on almost 5% of of Thomas's plays and – about half a percentage less of Henry's plays, not counting Henry's receptions, obviously, but he's not in the end zone as a pass catcher, really. So the receiver's more valuable in my eyes, and I, th- I think in the eyes of, of the numbers. Um, now, and Henry's done very well financially. It's averaged uh, $7.1 million a season. That doesn't sound big enough, but he was a rookie uh, second-round pick. That deal was worth in total only $5.4 million a year. Second deal worth $12.5 million a year. It's a unicorn. I think he's made a fair bit of money. Now, look, I, I think everybody deserves more money, right? And certainly a back who's getting the hell beat out of him on a weekly basis. So we know what Earl Campbell looks like now. We know what. Uh, Derrick Henry might suffer from down the line for the hits he's taken. God bless Eddie George, Chris Johnson, both look good at their age for, for the abuse that they took while they played for the Titans. But I, I don't think there's a big fix that's in order here. Saquon Barkley, very nice back. Big key to the Giants turnaround last year where they had a, a great surprising season, first year of a new regime. 100 yards combined, averaged last year. Would you like to have him? Absolutely. $10.1 million franchise tag is a nice price. Could have had a deal they were negotiating last year that maxed out at a $14 million average, uh, but he didn't like the guarantee, and he turned it down. He's made $38 million in five years. It's probably been worth more than that. He can skip camp now because he doesn't have to sign this this franchise tag until he wants to. They can't fine him until he's under contract. It's not under contract until he signs it. They can up the one-year money some to sweeten things for him, and they can assure him they won't put a franchise tag on him next year, 
which would let him get to market where he will be disappointed in the money that he's offered on the market. He said, and this guy is a sensible guy, generally speaking. And, and the latter parts of the quote after this quote that I'm going to read you, he, he was well-reasoned. But he said, my leverage is I could say fuck you to the Giants and I could say fuck you to my teammates and be like, you want me to show you my worth? You want me to show you how valuable I am to the team? I won't show up. I won't play it down. And that's a play I could use. I might have to take it to this level. Not showing up is absolutely stupid. You leave $10 million on the table. Look what it did for Le'Veon Bell. You don't get any younger. They go ahead with your replacement. They're not desperate to have you next year, and neither is anybody else. The whole league moves on, has different ideas about who they plug in, and guess what? Nobody's sitting around waiting on you. Didn't get better for Le'Veon Bell after he sat out a year. It got worse. It got way worse. Deal with the $10 million. Deal with the market. Here's some solutions. Take the $10 million and be super, super versatile. Christian McCaffrey's rookie deal was worth $17.2 million, drafted eighth. Saquon Barkley's also drafted very high, so you max out the money you can get as a rookie if you're drafted high in the first round, right? That's part of how you make more money as a running back. You have a bigger rookie deal because you get drafted high. you got to get drafted in the top ten. Christian McCaffrey, uh, second deal, $16 million a year average. He's made uh, almost $54 million in six years. That's uh, $15.5 million more than Henry in one fewer year with more injuries. But he is the model of a modern running back. Three down back, could, could play receiver if you wanted him to. Certainly lines up dangerously in the slot, but you can do all kinds of things with Christian McCaffrey. He is an absolute chess piece. Derrick Henry, and I think Derrick Henry is superb at what he does, but Derrick Henry is more of a checkers piece. And Derrick Henry, again, I, I think has made reasonable money. Um, but a year from now, he's going to find a limited market for his services, and the Titans are going to have hand in a in a contract negotiation for him the free market it's called a free market for a reason now this is in the construct of the nfl's market which is you know limited by a salary cap but i don't want a wide receiver on his third contract right i want a wide receiver on his first contract or on his second contract i definitely don't want him on his third contract guy in his third contract is probably eight or nine years in, and he's starting towards the downside. I don't want a running back on a second contract. A good running back on a second contract is in year six, probably. He's done his four years, maybe five years if he was a first-round pick and had that fifth-year option. Then he's probably had a year of a franchise tag, and that's six. Seventh-year running back, I'm not excited about a seventh-year running back. And the team, well, on that second contract, at least the team's dictating the economics. Not dictating the wear and tear, though. Might have dictated the wear and tear during the first four, five, six years. Four years of a top guy, maybe five with that fifth-year option. Franchise year, like Matt Miller suggests. Sounds about right to me. I don't know that there's a heck of a lot of discussion 
need to find ways to pay running backs. It's just part of football right now. Maybe things will cycle in a different direction. Maybe that's just what football is now. Anybody campaigning for safeties to be paid more? No. Nobody's campaigning for safeties to be paid more. And we shouldn't be. I wanted to share my summer reading list. Sometimes I talk about books I read and people uh, seem to like it. So I'll run through this quickly. And uh, if you're watching on YouTube, I'll show it to you. These are books you should consider reading. Backgrounds aren't visible in solo layout. This was visible before, I'll tell you that. I guess I'm not going to show it to you there. I guess I'm going to uh, I'm going to read it to you. That's disappointing. It was visible when I was playing with it before. And where's the list now? Where is the list? It's on my computer screen, so I could read it to you there. I I went on a reading tear during vacation. I had a lot of time off, and I enjoyed it a great deal. And um, I read at the beach. I read at my brother's house. I've been reading going to bed as opposed to um, watching a lot of TV, though I've certainly watched a lot of TV as well. Um, but it's it's been great. And uh, I think if you are looking for something to read, or even if you're not looking for something to read, if you hit on one of these, you'll, uh, you'll really enjoy it. Cloud Cuckoo Land by Anthony Doerr is d-o-e-r-r -R. it's a terrible title for a book i admit it it's a couple years old it's a phenomenal novel where this guy uh, finds a theme that you might never think would be uh, a terrific theme but uh, and weaves together one of these um, novels that that has you know four or five parts that seem completely incongruous that are superbly navigated and uh, and tied together I, I i i one of my three favorite novels of all time now cloud cuckoo land i read deliver me from nowhere which is a book about um nebraska the bruce springsteen album bruce springsteen talked to warren zanes the author and uh it, it was a really really good look at this uh stark album that springsteen did that was kind of a uh a big surprise. He was at the height of his powers and uh, recorded <clears throat> an album in a bedroom of the house he was renting that he intended to take and do with his um, his band, but <clears throat> it never translated. And he ended up taking the, the tape, carrying around a tape in his pocket, and that became the album. And it was uh, a huge surprise to everybody that, that this is what he produced at the time. And a lot of musicians look at it as a real uh, statement album. And the creation of it was really a big deal. And Warren Zanes, um, I went from there to his biography of Tom Petty, which was really excellent. Um, my only disappointment was there was no like addendum to, to the end of the book about Tom Petty's uh, surprisingly early death. Um, but I learned a lot about Tom Petty from that book. That was very interesting. And I stayed in the rock and roll mode and I read a book called Daisy Jones and the Six by Taylor Jenkins. Um, it was pretty good. It's kind of a Fleetwood, Fleetwood Mac-ish fictional band in the 70s, but it was told like one of those uh, oral histories. Um, and I read it because I knew Hulu. 
I believe it's Hulu, had a 10-episode show based off the book. And I thought I'd read the book before I watched the series. So I read the book, liked the book a lot. The series, you know, then leaves you wondering, like, how do they do the music? How are they going to come up with these songs? The lyrics were good in the book, but creating the music is a whole different challenge. And they did a pretty good job of that. So I read the book. I watched the series and I've listened to the music from the series again uh, a lot in my car, which I think is a pretty good compliment to uh, the people that put the show together. So if you're not going to read the book, check out the show. If you're looking for something to watch Daisy Jones and the six. So it's Elvis Presley's granddaughter that plays Daisy Jones. Um, where am I here? The Lincoln highway by Amore Tolls. Um, a gentleman in Moscow was another book by this guy, which I couldn't get into enough to, uh, to finish it. A friend of mine, Rate said it was one of her favorites, but I gave this one a try and I enjoyed it. Uh, pretty good book about some, uh, some young people, uh, a couple of them getting out of prison and, uh, trying to make their way to the West coast, but they end up on the East coast. Um, and there was some, some really good stuff in there. Fleischman is in trouble by Taffy Brodesser Ackner, which is another book that I'd seen around, and it is now a series on one of the streaming services. Um, and because I'd, uh, I'd seen this book and kind of was familiar with what it was about, I thought this would be a good one to read also before streaming it. I have not yet streamed it. The book was an enjoyable uh, beach read but it's towards the bottom of the list because it's not as good as these other ones. And I read a book called Falling by T.J. Newman. Um, she is a former flight attendant who's now written a second book called Drowning. They're both about plane stuff. This was a real page turner about a uh, hijack-like situation. Fun read, but not as literary as uh, the stuff further at the top of this list. So, I leave you with those to pick and choose and uh, take a take a look if you like. Um, I recommend all of them, and I'm sorry if you're watching that you don't have a list, though I'm trying to put one up there that you could take a screenshot, but you're getting uh, my backlight there. There it is if you wanted to take a screenshot, and that was helpful to you. So thank you for uh Humoring me on listening to those. Um, positive reviews from me. So as everybody who's familiar with me is aware, I'm always, always rated as overly negative. It's not true. I'm not overly negative. I wrote that I think Peter Skaronsky is a fantastic draft pick and should play tackle. Nobody's talking about that. I said Sean Murphy Bunting and Arden Key and Aziz Al-Shair Great, uh, great additions to the team. I backed the team when they let David Long walk for next to nothing because of his injury history. I cautioned readers uh, and listeners about all the pre-draft rumors, none of which came true. I said not to worry about a Jeffrey Simmons deal. I praised the team when they got it done on a very good timetable. I paid tribute to Taylor Lewan. Negative, 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 though, right? I told, I told everybody this week the prosecution dropped the case against Rashad Weaver. But negative, negative, negative. I tell them Mike Vrabel's a top eight coach in the league. So you want to call me negative, I'll do you a favor. 
I'll bring in, uh, you know, my uh, my opposite, my good friend, Positive PK. How are you doing out there, buddy? I'm doing fantastic. What do you mean? How am I doing? It's a beautiful day here in Nashville. I'm at SEC Media Days. Everything's great. Everything's positive. It's going to be a great season. SEC. I love the SEC. You know I love the SEC. Yeah. You don't like the SEC because you're negative and you're Mr. Negative. I'm positive. I love the SEC. I'm having a ball here. The snacks are fantastic. The food is great. The coaches are happy. The The, the, the players are excited. It's great. Everything's great. SEC Media Day, so every reporter asking every coach about how they're going to go undefeated and uh, every team bringing their happiest player along who's going to say absolutely nothing bad. I mean, uh, See, now why, now why why you have to be that way? Why do you have to be that way? It's a positive time for the SEC. It's the greatest conference in all of college football. The teams are great. The coaches are great. The, the, everything's great. Why do you, you got to be Mr. Poopy Pants down there about it? It's great. I love the SEC. You know what's not great right now? Those ripped-up end zones at Vanderbilt. This could be an interesting season or two to watch as they rebuild. I think the Titans did a very good job, positive PK, of getting DeAndre Hopkins. But I'm a little wary of another aging wide receiver coming to Nashville. They're rumblings that he doesn't like to practice, and that's gone badly before, pal. See, why would you even say that? That's not what I heard at all. I heard DeAndre Hopkins loves to practice. He loves coming to the Titans. He's so excited to play with Ryan Tannehill and Nick Westbrook-Akina and Traylon Burks and that great wide receiver room. How could you even say that? That is so far from the truth. That's you being Mr. Negative. And now I see... It's Super Bowl for the Tennessee Titans because we got D-Hop, baby. We're going all the way. The trophy is coming to Nashville, and now you need to get on board, negative PK. Who's not excited to play with Chris Moore? You got me there. Titans are so thin, PK. Uh, inside linebacker, safety, edge. I, I mean, they're already probably starting a replacement right tackle in Jamarco Jones or Jalen Duncan. Are they going to magically somehow be healthy this season? Of course they are. And even if they're not, they have the greatest coach in the history of the NFL in dealing with injuries in Mike Vrabel. Look at all the players that have been used the last couple of years, and now you're getting guys healthy. And I'm telling you, one man's injury is another man's opportunity. This team is so deep, they're going to be able to – Who? it doesn't matter who gets hurt. They're going to be able to overcome those injuries and go all the way this year. 15-2 and two regular season record. Book it. Wow. Remember when you heard it. Two losses. You're sounding awfully negative. How could Nicholas Petit Frere not know the gambling policy? Have you seen that 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 gambling policy? Yes. It is like the NCAA infraction book. It is like it is like the Library of Congress. Nobody has time to read all that stuff. Listen, he was probably betting on the Titans to win the Super Bowl. He got caught. He'll miss six games. No big deal. Somebody else will step in. Hell, we might even bring Dennis Kelly back. Wouldn't that be great? I love Dennis Kelly. I love Dennis Kelly, too, but I think his best days are behind him. All right, look, let's say everything goes perfect. The positive PK scenario plays out 15-2, and two, home playoff game. They get in Nissan Stadium. Tannehill's had a terrific season. Why should I think that he is, is going to magically play well in the playoffs based on what he's uh, done pooping the bed in the postseason uh, in his Titans career? Well, first of all, I don't recall him pooping the bed. I don't. I know. I know. I, I didn't see that. Listen, he threw some interceptions against Cincinnati. Cincinnati. Game from your memory? 
Listen, those interceptions weren't all his fault, okay? He was trying really hard, which is a positive thing, to win the game. This year, he's got the receivers. He's got the offensive line. He's got big Derrick Henry in the backfield. He's learned from his mistakes. He will be the MVP this year and regular season and Super Bowl MVP. Remember where you heard it, Mr. Negative Poopy Pants. Okay, I know you've applied for tickets and you'll be at every Titans training camp practice you can be at. When you're not out there, uh, what, what will you be doing as football season starts to get underway? I'm going to be visiting every single training camp that I can. I am going to be all over the AFC South. I'm going to be in Jacksonville. I'm going to be in Indianapolis. I'm going to be in Houston. And then I'm going to go to Knoxville for UT because they're going to win the national championship this year. I'm going to go to Vanderbilt. They're going to win the SEC East. I know it kind of works a little different that way, but trust me on this. I am going to be touring all over, spreading my positivity. And now the rest of the football world will know that Positive PK is a happy man. He's ready for football. I can't wait. It's going to be great. And just a matter of time till the Preds are lifting the Stanley Cup. Positive PK never fails to deliver. He's never had a bad day. And I hope that's served offset. Thank you so much for squeezing me into your busy day, PK. Well, listen, don't, first of all, don't be so negative. Second of all, it's, it's a pleasure to be on with you. And third of all, stay positive. All right. I'll stay positive. And everybody else out there, you uh, will say thanks one more time to Jaspers. And I'll tell you, as I always do, don't block the box and be sure to lock your locks. Block the box if you have to.